huge shout out to the St. Olaf powerlifting team, the St. Olaf chapter of the Good Athlete Project, St. Olaf athletics in general. We just got back from Northfield, Minnesota, where we hosted the second annual Midwest Collegiate Powerlifting Meet at St. Olaf, and it was a huge success. We just finished an article about it on beyondstrength.net. Some of the highlights of the weekend, some of the deliberations, some of uh, some of the great lessons learned throughout the course of the day. But again, those guys are wonderful. They do a fantastic job. And we were pumped to finish the meet on such a high note. It was great. Again, read more about it, beyondstrength.net. Now, we've got something amazing coming up. Folks, on May 11th, we are once again hosting the state championship for powerlifting. That's high school powerlifting. The IHSPLA, that's the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association. It was one of the first endeavors, one of the first creations of the Good Athlete Project. And we are hosting the state championship once again this year. Now, we're doing it a little differently. We are inviting teams. So it's no longer a situation where anyone who wants to participate can, which has been a blast in years past, but we've hit critical mass. We've already got eight platforms going, more than 150 participants. It is the largest high school meet in the state of Illinois by a significant margin, and certainly one of the biggest team-based meets in the nation. You cannot compete as an individual. You have to compete as a team on behalf of your school. That's happening at Nutrier High School. Shout out again to the hosts. Thank you all at Nutrier. And we invite all of you to come watch firsthand how a competition run on the fundamentals of the Good Athlete Project and the Beyond Strength concept at large. I'd encourage you to come support these kids who've done such an amazing job preparing for the event. And honestly, just come watch and see how it's done. If you are a high school coach considering adding powerlifting as a complement to your strength and conditioning off-season program or as a unique sport on its own, please come stop by. Lifting is going to kick off at 8 a.m. and we'll be going pretty much all day. It's a wonderful, wonderful event. We encourage you to show up. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Today's guest is the one and only Pat Ivey. Now, Coach Pat Ivey is what people usually refer to him, but uh, the proper distinction would include the title of doctor. Dr. Ivey was a defensive end at Missouri and has been honored and recognized as one of the strongest athletes in the history of the school. In 1996, he was signed as a free agent to the San Diego Chargers and spent time with the Broncos and the Green Bay Packers. After his stint in the NFL, he came back home. His first job was a graduate assistant position in strength and conditioning at the University of Missouri. He has since held multiple positions at the collegiate level, both in sports science, sports nutrition, directing athletics, mental health and performance, sports medicine, pretty much anything within the realm of sports, Dr. Pat Ivey has been involved with. He's done that at the University of Missouri at Arkansas State and has recently been appointed to a position at the University of Louisville. He is the Assistant Vice President and Associate Athletics Director for Student Athlete Health and Performance. And if that doesn't convince you, here's a couple quick snippets. From 2007 to 2014, the Missouri Tiger football team won five of seven conference division titles in the Big 12 and SEC. During that time, Coach Ivey was named the National Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year. That was in 2013. In 2009, he was awarded the Major McDever Award for fostering good relations with students at the university. Mind you, this is all while he was working on his PhD in sports psychology. I don't know how he finds time to do all this because the guy is also an adjunct professor and he's got a podcast entitled Beyond Sets and Reps. You're going to be able to tell really quickly that Dr. Ivy is a thoughtful man working with people at an important time in their development. 
truly adhering to the Good Athlete Project's motto of going beyond strength and teaching lessons that will last a lifetime. Get your notebooks ready. There are a lot of takeaways from today's podcast. Having a good household in the inner city doesn't really protect you outside of the house. Um, and so I guess having um, having certain rules and guidelines and discipline in the house, trying to hold those same values outside of the house sometimes gets you in trouble, it gets you picked on, bullied, all that stuff. So I found myself on that end um, of drop kicks and throat punches and things like that. And, um, what that led to is me going home, crying to mom. And eventually I think there came a point where, uh, she just thought that maybe sports could help this situation. Hmm. Um, because having a nurturing household and mama's boy and all that, you know, what was she supposed to do um, other than, hey, well, you're going to have to. I mean, was she supposed to walk me home? That was going to make it worse. Right. <laughs> so. Um, so at 10 years old, she dropped me off at the East Side Cowboys and uh, best experience I had had up until that point. Mm. Um, my coaches were loving, tough. My the head coach, he lived in the projects and. um but the one thing I can tell you about this this man is is when I saw him probably 25, 25 years, 23, 25 years later, hmm. and I went back to Detroit to visit him, he hadn't seen me in probably 20 years, and he knew everything. Is that right? He knew what I had done. He knew he was working at a car wash when I went to go see him. He knew everything about me, where I went to school. I wrote a book, what I was doing. He knew everything. Yeah. And so, so uh, that kind what, of person. What was his name? Coach Brock. Coach Brock. Yeah. Good man. Coach Brock. Yeah, man, he's a good man. Um, and uh, you know, I had to, I, I, I had to learn <laughs> on the field the hard way. I had asthma when I was two years old, up until I was two years old, and hadn't really had any issues up until then and I took a shot from the fullback and next thing I know I'm going into an asthma attack and coach Brock he just told me people may think this is insensitive but I'm going to tell you it's the last time I had a asthma attack he told me to go over get on my knees cross my feet and put my hands over my head and breathe next play last time I had an asthma attack wow and uh you know that that was some confidence that I knew I could mm -hmm. control it. That up until then I didn't know if I could control it. And yeah. here's so um, so that was my experience. I I, I became um, at the end of that year I, I earned a starting spot. I was a right tackle. I earned a starting spot. I got the award, the coach's award. Nice. And I was disappointed with that. I I thought I should get like you know people were getting best offensive line, best offense, MVP, all these other awards. And, and um, I remember my mom being so proud. I was like, what, what, what is a coach's award? Right. That means you're the most coachable. Mm -hmm. 
And and um, I think back to that, and and I go, I my next, so we went unscored on and undefeated that year. There you go. Um, my next, so when I was 12 years old, I played again, and we had another undefeated season. I played center, and the award I got for that one was no. I'm sorry. Let me let me back that up. I got the most improved award my first year. Yep. My my second year of playing football, it was two years later, and I got the coaches award. Mm-hmm. Different coaches, and um, I I, I could say that those two things probably define my playing career. Yep. Someone who was the who would win the coaches award and would be most improved. Yeah. Well, dude, even that moment, like so much of your work, you talk about sports psych. Like your your mindset is so important. The the that asthma moment, that could be that alone. Regardless of how the season panned out and the awards panned out, um, that think about that because because I I'll, I'll tell you I don't know the inner workings of or the medicine or the the science behind asthma to a T. I I don't. But I would imagine um, that at least maybe on the front version because I'm sure there's a range. There's the sort of asthma that can kill you. And then on the front version, I, I, I would, or the lighter version, I would imagine. You correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, so much of it is is control. Like asthma it feels like one of those things where you could start to spin. Oh shoot, I, I can't breathe. I lost control. Then I'll, that makes you makes it more difficult to breathe. And yeah, so you're nodding your head. I love this. Tell me more, man, because that sounds yeah. like that's what happened to you. Absolutely, because I I actually have memories of getting rushed to the hospital. Oh wow! Um, from having an asthma attack and and uh, that's probably one of the earliest memories i have mm-hmm. um because at that point uh it's the first time i felt why i felt it was hard to live mm-hmm. i felt oh, wow. i felt i felt a moment where it, this is it's hard to live it's hard to breathe and uh yeah that was a that was an interesting interesting experience and uh I, it's a valuable experience and sure. it, it it's one that I've carried with me. Absolutely. Well, he, he sounds like a he sounds like a good man, especially. And it's funny. Um, we talk about Alex and I both coach. I actually I'm dressed right now. I literally just got done. Um, how people will how the how the workers how the kind of kid who would win the coaches award the kind of kid who would win most valuable uh, how those how those people sort of stick in your mind from the from the hundreds if not thousands that you interact with over the course of the career that that that's the kind of kid. That uh, that stays with you. I think that's impressive. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's uh, you know, looking back on it, I really didn't, I didn't value it at the time. But now that I look back, and you're right, as a coach, uh, I coached for over 20 years. You know, those are the exact kind of kids that you want to recruit mm-hmm. and develop. And, and um, when you have coachable kids that work hard to get better, mm-hmm. you end up, you end up. Winning some championships. That's it. Okay, yes. so before we get into because I want to hear the rest of your career. Okay, we started this conversation. You're in a hotel room right now. We talked about a stint that you had in Green Bay and all that stuff. But but that is so – that's such an important thing for anyone who's listening to hear. To hear someone with the experience that you've had uh, to, to, to make that comment because – too frequently people think you know we're, we're the good athlete project our handle is coach for kindness uh and people you, you can easily put that in the category of soft uh and and oftentimes we have to be very clear like look the teams that we work with win championships 
we do this uh, because it is the ethical right, the moral. We do think there's something deeper to this, absolutely. But we're not saying sacrifice performance in order to do it. And you just hit the nail on the head. So tell us more about that. If you've got kids and people who buy in, where does that take you? Well, absolutely. And I had a really good high school career. Um, college career was we didn't win many games. And, and uh you know, I can think about the the locker room and and mm-hmm. how that would stack up with an experience I would have later, which would be in 1998. I was uh, signed by the Denver Broncos. They had just won uh, the Super Bowl for the first time, mm-hmm. and I signed um, contract one year contract to be with them for the for the 1998 season. Mm-hmm. And I was there from March all the way uh, through training camp. I was released during training camp. But I have to uh, I looked at my experience um, from those six months that I was with that I was training with who would be the back to back Super Bowl champions. And in that locker room is what would shape my philosophy as a coach Mm -hmm. for the next 20 years. And in that locker room, and and I can go through the names of John Elways and Terrell Davis and Shannon Sharps and. Mm -hmm. Neil Smith and uh, it, it, Steve Atwater, it, it go uh, Romanowski. It goes on and on and on. Rod Smith. I can keep going. Sure. The people, the character mm-hmm. of the of those players in that locker room. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I've been on at that time. I spent two years in the NFL, so I was familiar with the NFL locker room and a college locker room. And there, there are things that guys do that they party, they have fun the off the field stuff that team the character is something i have been i i that's what i was striving for as a coach to help the players that i was working with to understand the importance of having great character mm-hmm. and because i knew they had just won a super bowl and, I, and this it's the last they're the last team that went back to back i believe that sounds right yeah it sounds yeah and and I know the character of the people and the men, the husbands, the fathers, like you don't hear about that stuff. Right. But that that stuck in my head. And um, yeah, I can keep going on. Yeah, no, I love that. So so but that matters because a lot of people based on this concept will be like, well, yeah, they had John Elway, future Hall of Famer. They had Terrell Davis, the MVP of the league. They had all these guys. Uh, but but the, especially within the NFL you got all these teams stacked with collegiate All-Americans, you know, and all pros, not all of them win. And it sounds like one of the differentiating factors for this team was that they were high character guys. And I'll tell you, because we uh, are lucky to be dealing with some teams that are pretty darn successful too. Complacency can, you know, what happens after you win, that can have a big impact on your character too. Right? Absolutely. It sounds like Absolutely. it didn't happen for those guys, though. It, it didn't. And one of my best friends I played college with, his name was Byron Chamberlain. He was a tight end on the, that team. So I stayed with him in Denver. Yeah. And I remember the first night, um, I called him BC. I said, uh, BC, I need a towel. I'm ready. It's my first night. I'm unpacked. I wanted to take a shower. And he's in, it was a two bedroom apartment. And he uh, yells from uh, his bedroom, say, hey, it's in the, it's in the hallway closet. I look in the hallway closet and I said, no, there are no, no towels in there. So there are no towels in here. He said, well, check the other closet. 
I looked in the other closet. It was the same as the first closet, filled with videotapes. Oh, wow. Football, football videotapes. And uh, I said, there are no towels. There are only videotapes in here of football. I just need a towel. And he says, oh, you know what? Hey, I've got uh, – uh, I've got a videotape of you in the spring game, your red shirt sophomore year when you got blown up on the sideline. Oh, wow. Now, that was so that had so that was five years earlier. I said, yeah. first of all, no way, because that didn't yeah. happen. Right. Second, right. Let's see. <laughs> second, you, you don't have a, a videotape of it. And third, if even if you did, you can't find it. There are hundreds of videotapes here. Right. He comes out of his room. He pulls open the drawer. He sifts through the tapes and says, here it is. Pulls it out. Put it in the VCR. Fast forward. Boom. There I am. Wow. Blown up on the sideline. <laughs> Unbelievable. He, they had just won a Super Bowl. Yep. He taught me how to watch video. Yeah. Every day That's I come amazing. home, he showed me how to watch video. So I got so good at watching film, I could see myself outside of myself during a play and coach myself during the play yeah. it's crazy that's but wild, that's man. what those guys that's why the best are the best right well and meanwhile you're standing there still wet because you don't have a towel so it's like <laughs> it's a, it's kind of a give and take here well i hadn't taken a shower yet <laughs> oh i got you i got you uh, no it, it is amazing it, it in the, the hunger of those guys that get to that level you know because uh, that's what it is it's it's uh, prioritizing. It's self awareness, self sacrifice. You gotta if, th- if that's where if where you're going is the top, uh, then yeah, I like that metaphor. Then you've got a towel closet full of tape. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna use that one. Uh, so you say though, can, would you, you mentioned your college career. Um, you, you're, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like maybe that locker room wasn't wasn't quite the same, and you can see the results on the field because of it. Well, yeah, we and we we had we had some good guys in the locker room. Uh, sure. We never quite put it together. We never went to a bowl game my entire five years in my college career. Mm-hmm. Um, I I even struggled my 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 college career because I had played offense all um, throughout high school, and but I wanted to play defensive end in college. I actually did not start until my senior year, hmm. um, and I went and I still I played really good had a really good senior year mm-hmm. and i signed as an undrafted free agent so uh, with the san diego Chargers. so it, yeah. it was um it was as i look back i grew a lot as a person mm-hmm. but my experience is something that i try to pour into every athlete that i coach all of the yeah. struggles because it was hard not starting until your senior year yeah. 24 plays my junior year yeah. uh I had three different defensive coordinators or D-line coaches. It was, yeah. it, you know, it was, it was a lot of change and uh, changing positions. Uh, one, year, one year we bring in defense and I'm an outside backer. Then that defense is over and I'm a back to a defensive end. So it was, you know, it was a yeah. struggle, uh, but it was definitely uh, I grew as a person. What do, what do you think held you to football in that time? This came up on our last podcast, actually, and, and it's the timing is funny because a, um, a, the brother of a friend of mine uh, actually just quit his college team. And we got into this conversation about, like, you know, if you're, if you're playing in college, even at smaller colleges, you, you probably played a lot in high school, 
right? So, so right. how do you all of a sudden get used to not playing? You know what I mean? How what what keeps the light on at the end of the tunnel for you? <laughs> um, I didn't. I I I never got used to not playing. Yeah, fair. <laughs> it is. It, it it was hard. Um, and what kept the fire going? I guess just. Um, I had good parents that uh, that that poured into me that that I believed in myself. So mm-hmm. even when someone didn't believe in me, I believed much, so much in myself that I had something to prove. Mm-hmm. So for me, if you doubt me, it just makes me go even harder because yeah. uh, I, I believe in myself. Um, and, and um, you know, that that's that's having. A, yeah, having good upbringing helps. But that's kind of just what I wanted to accomplish and kind of who I am is if you, if you, if you, uh, doubt me, then you're going to get the best from me. Right. Then good luck. Well, so yeah. I, so I've got an idea on that and you've referenced your parents a couple times. I think that sort of mindset, you know, different things fuel different people. Um, the prove people wrong mindset, it works, but only sometimes. And I think it, I think it only works like, uh, you know, it's a, a, a very sincere belief and uh, if people don't also believe in you, try to prove them wrong. I think it only works with a, with a strong psychological core that comes from, I'm not joking, uh, some sort of nurturing early on. You know, like if if the core of you is a strong, thoughtful, resilient person, then then you've got something to build on. You can say, all right, I you know I do believe in myself, and it's not just fluff. You know what I mean? There's some stake with that sizzle. You know, it's like it's not just fluff. You 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 might just be who you say you are, and then if you stick with it long enough, in 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 your case and, and others, you, you prove it. I uh, said, so you know, you might have that chip. You might be playing with anger. That might be good enough to get to give you a shot to get mm-hmm. you a shot at, at the next level, but it won't keep you there. It won't sustain you. Um, That's right. It won't sustain you. You have to, and that goes for college or high school or, or anything. If you're doing it for something that's external and extrinsic, you have to keep doing more and more and more. Mm-hmm. It's got to come from within, from with. You have to want it for yourself, and you can't have someone else wanting it for you. Mm-hmm. You have to want it, and um, that's a fire that doesn't go out because because right. you it's coming from you. Right. That's so right. That's exactly right. So okay, that's a good transition because that quality is a hard one to teach. So now you as educator, you as coach, how do you try to build and instill that in the people you work with? You know, I'll, that's that's a, a really good question, which which caused me to go back to school. Um, I, I started with taking a class. And once I took the, the um, sports psychology class, I thought since I'm starting it, I might as well finish it. So I finished up my doctorate right. in sports psychology. And those are I was searching for all of those answers. Uh, I had so many questions, um, so many um, unfulfilled moments and so many questions from athletes and so many puzzles Mm -hmm. that I needed more education on how to uh, how to handle those situations. So I did learn how to um, create environments where athletes can be more intrinsically and internally motivated. Mm -hmm. And um, so if so, I I came across something, um, Dr. McGuire was uh, my mentor and teacher and advisor. Where's he at? He was a, he's, he was the, he was the head track coach, uh, for 27 years at Missouri. And then he was the director of sports psychology after he retired for five years. And then he started the Institute for positive coaching and, um, 
many. Uh, he started the master's degree in positive coaching at Missouri. Uh, he's retired from all four or five of his jobs now right. and uh, doing traveling and family, things like that. Uh, but what I learned from him is uh, this thing called the self-determination theory by DC and Ryan. Mm-hmm. And uh, what the self-determination theory is, uh, it's, it's basically three components. You um, you have autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And if you can figure out how to create those three situations to happen, then you can create an athlete who is self-determined. Mm-hmm. And so autonomy, that's choice. Um so a lot of times people say, oh, you're giving athletes choices now. No, it's it's not that. You're giving them the opportunity to make the right choice mm-hmm. and, and or the right choices. Mm-hmm. Um, competence. Do they, So that comes from you explaining why and how and what they're supposed to be doing, doing a great job of teaching as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard you can't coach what you don't teach. So you have to teach it. And then there's the relatedness. They have to understand how they fit within the team. They, you have to have a relationship with them. You have to encourage the team to have great relationships with each other. That's, you know, building that team chemistry, mm-hmm. um, giving them opportunities to learn about each other outside of sport helps with that. So if you can if you can create that environment. So how that looks is I would show up knowing we have to warm up before we lift. So, mm-hmm. hey, you guys want to do met ball warm up today or you want to play or you want to do uh speed warm up. And hey, mm-hmm. coach, can we do the met ball warm up? Here's what I know. They're going to be more gas doing the med ball warm up than the speed warm up. So, mm-hmm. great. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Um I would explain to them, okay, well, the med ball warm up, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. I want the ball to f- to go this far, this fast, this many times back and forth. The, this sort of exercise. I will demonstrate it. This is what it should look like. Okay, competence. So two. All right, so that's two checks. Mm-hmm. Autonomy, competence. Relatedness, hey, pick somebody uh, that you want to pick a, pick a partner and go down the field. Okay, now they, they're working with somebody they want to work with, yep. and you gave them the choice to choose it, and they know what they're doing. Those balls are going to be flying. Those med balls are going to be yep. flying in the air, and that's what I know. I, and, and you do, and you you constantly look for situations that, that you can create that builds self determined, self starting athletes, mm-hmm. intrinsically motivated athletes. Yeah. That and those are the ones that that we say we want someone to run through a brick wall for us. Well. Those are the ones they don't run through the brick wall for you because they're scared of you. Right. They run through the brick wall because they love you. No doubt. There's no question. I've only had that's so right. And I've only had a handful of those kind of coaches who I in my life. I've been lucky to have some great ones. And the ones that I was willing to do anything for. I love those. I still do. You know what I mean? It, It wasn't it wasn't fear. It was care that gets you to do some of the best things in the world. So before we go into that, because I actually I, I want to touch on that again. It came up, what was it, two or three years ago, Alex, when Steve Kerr um, let his guys, let like Steph Curry call a play or something. That was like last that. year. Yeah. Was it last yeah, year? Yeah, let him coach himself. Yeah. It's it's interesting because, so look, I we call that, we have a, an idea called the anchor and tether method. So like the anchors are your absolutes. And the example you just gave, the anchor is we're warming up. Here are your two options. 
that's not movable. That's where we're going to anchor this. And then the the you let a little rope out because these are more experienced guys. They've got some. They can. You. They, it allows for more autonomy. Um, I'm, I'm I'm thinking. I'm I'm speaking with the coach who's listening in mind. Like maybe if you were to have to, if they're brand new, if they're not super disciplined, maybe you pull the rope in. You don't give them as much slack, and it's like, well, we're doing the med ball warm up. And you get to pick whether we use the green balls or the red balls today. You know, just a little bit. And the more that they demonstrate that they actually are, are competent and know what they're doing, then you can let the rope out long, more and more for them, um, which is interesting. And I, I just had to plug that because there is that group of people out there who'd be like, no, you're, you know, you're the boss. You tell them what to do. Um, it's not quite as crystal clear as that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, some coaches say they want to know, hey, can I trust you? Mm-hmm. But but they'll they'll base that trust on discipline rather than accountability, and discipline is ba- do you do what I tell you to do? Right. And, and you know, you if you're going to base trust on do you do what I tell you to do, there is about twenty more hours during the day. Yes. <laughs> so That's accountability right. is do they do what they're supposed to be doing the the way they're supposed to be doing it how they're supposed to be doing it whether you're there or not. Yep. Um, if, and if you can, to me, if you can trust an athlete to be accountable, that means they they will do the right thing, uh, and, and the way they're supposed to be, they'll get their job done, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in the community or whether it's on the field court, whatever it may be. Yeah. I love that distinction. Discipline versus accountability. Cause that's it. It's like, if you could have the most hyper-disciplined team, maybe they're disciplined out of fear. And then, uh, okay, and then they go home and, and you eat a stack of Oreos and you stay up till 3 a.m. watching Netflix. You know what I mean? That's a right. That's not it. They, they did what they were doing in front of you, but you didn't um, deliver any self-reliance to the, to the kid. There's no actual. Yep. Yeah, and, and of course it takes self-discipline to do that, but mm-hmm. that, without, those are two different things. Um, sometimes as coaches we confuse. We, we, we say one when we mean the other. Mm-hmm. That's you right. Know? So – but that's a good language distinction because I, you know, yeah. some coaches we get in conversations. Sometimes coaches are like, "Well, we're kind of splitting hairs." You know, that's just a language thing, and we often say, "Yeah, it is a, it's a language thing, and the language you use matters." You know, it, if the, the, you know, if you say run the play right or left, I think language pretty, matters. I think it does too. I think it does too. We're talking to a doctor though. We know, like, obviously, you get that. Um, that's an important idea. Okay, and, and I want to go back to another idea and, and help me with this because this is, this is like, look, I'm not as good at, at football as you, but I tried really hard. I played a little bit after college as well, never in the NFL. I played, you know, like arena-type football, and I played over in, in Europe a little bit. So mm-hmm. I loved it. I didn't do it for a paycheck. I did it because I loved it. And that's an import, become an important word to me because I was sitting with a kid the other day. This kid has more, more scholarship offers than I can count. Um like from everywhere we're talking like michigan uh wisconsin we were down at a powerlifting meet now oklahoma state is after him kansas like everybody wants this kid um and he's still so humble such a kind kid who cares about the people around him all that stuff now when he if you're a defensive lineman like it's it's not going to feel like he's a big humble kind kid because he gets after it like he and Mm -hmm. he really does um and I say all that to say this, there's a narrative that keeps poking up and that is, um, it's love versus hate. And I'll, I'll give you my spiel on it and I really want to hear you as a coach and as a, as a player, what you tapped into. There's this idea that you have to like, 
hate your opponent. Like, oh my God, I hate the New York Jets if you're in the NFL, or I hate the Crosstown team or whatever it might be. And I've been kind of convinced, and I'm not sure I could have named it when I was a player, but I definitely know it now, that it was like love and how much I cared about people that made me, like when I had my like, if I, you know, just, I'm not doing it anymore, but when I was had my most like badass moments, my best games, it was probably out of the drive to be good for my teammates. You know what I mean? When I was like frothing at the mouth in a game, I can remember one from my junior high school, it's because there was a late hit on my, our quarterback, on my friend and teammate. It was, so it wasn't like hate that made me want to get intense and play well. It was, it was genuine care for what I was doing and the people around me. Yeah, Tap into yeah, I, yeah, I think for the things that we care about most or things that matter most in our lives is is love is what draws us to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, for me, hate, hating someone or hating a team or whatever never allowed me to execute my pass rush better. Right, right. Um, for me, it was about my, my alignment. It was my angle. It was it was the the me um, being able to key the ball, um, me being able to read the tackle, knowing if it's pass or run, mm-hmm. uh, knowing if I was to the field or boundary, knowing if I was running a stun or not, and then being able to use my hands the way I practiced to use my hands, and then uh, being aggressive with my hands, using the right leverage, and then being able to read what the offensive tackle is doing. Mm-hmm. And then being able to react from that and then pursue the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't, for me, being able to make those plays play after play after play after play, there was no time to hate. Hate right. what? Right, right, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was only after, uh, I was after the ball. Whoever had the ball, mm-hmm. that's what I was after. That's right. Um, and, and I was going to use my technique and my fundamentals and knowing the scheme and game plan and uh, bring all of my preparation with me mm-hmm. uh, at the point of attack. Yeah, that's right. That's it. And actually, that's- it's funny what you're tapping into is almost, you know, people don't like this word. It's a focused attention. It's almost like a sort of mindfulness. You're not sitting around in, in the dark or anything like that, but like you are clued in, locked into that moment. And execution is dependent not on hating your opponent, but being so freaking locked in to the the thing that you are the performance that you are about to engage with um, that there's nothing else. And, and you know, people talk about like flow state and stuff like that. If you can put all the stuff that you just mentioned together, you've got it. I I, I agree with that 100. Um, percent We would teach it. We would actually teach focus. So I, I actually teach focus to to the athletes that I've coached um, and. We'll break it down into five different skills. We'll, we'll break it down in the time orientation. That's basically where are you at the moment, right here, right now. Mm-hmm. You can't be focused on the past play. You can't be focused on the play after this play. It's about this play being in the moment, uh, totally present. So that's time orientation. Two is positive self-talk. How, how mm-hmm. can you um, – positive? The, the most important conversation you'll ever have with anyone is the one with yourself, mm-hmm. and it's the most influential one you'll have. So – Best to make it a positive because uh, you can go ahead and make it a negative, and then if you want positive results, it's going to be really hard uh, yep. to do that. So, uh, and then it then um, composure. Mm-hmm. So being able to 
you control your heart rate and your thoughts and whatever it may be through breathing or um, whatever you need to do. But composure is important. It can be you can learn it. It can be taught. It's a skill just like anything or just like catching a ball. Mm-hmm. And then the last two are uh, confidence and concentration. We, we teach that. Uh, that confidence is two choices is choosing to be confident and then choosing to be competent. So knowing what you're doing, if you know what you're doing and you want to be confident, you can be confident. And uh, of course it's easier to be confident when things are working out, but Mm -hmm. that's part of the challenge. And the last one is concentration is if you uh, can know what what the distractions are and you can eliminate the distractions, all of the distractions when you do that, then what's left is concentration. You're able to focus on what you need to be able to do. So those are the five uh, skills that we teach. And and, and and you do those things, you can bring your best yep. every play. That's it. Dude, you, I think you're so ahead of the game uh, because that's, that's necessary stuff. I'm telling you, I don't know if you know about my background at all. Um, my most recent degree, I, I was out at Harvard. I've got a master's in human development and psychology and have been in that realm pretty pretty heavily. And I've been looking a lot at like uh, social media and the I think the increase in number of potential distractions for kids. I, I think we're at a... We, we are at an interesting age. It, it, it's always been there. If Before it was social media, it was TV, it was whatever. But um, the skill of paying attention, the fact that you teach that, that is a lesson that's going to take these guys into the next stage of their life. Yeah, and we when we first started teaching it, the purpose was to be the best player that they could be on the field. Quickly, the players came back and said, Coach, I've been trying this stuff when I'm studying. Yep. I've been trying it in class. I've been trying it with my girlfriend. I've been, yep. And they said, we appreciate the sport examples, but when you're teaching this stuff, can you uh, give some more life examples? Because we think that this stuff is going to help us like in the classroom It's helping. And um, and I had had a football player who um, wanted to he wanted to talk about anger. So I I got up on the dry erase board and and drew up um, an illustration for him. He pulled out his phone. He took a picture of it. Mm -hmm. He said he went home and taught taught it to his girlfriend because he has anger issues and he wanted her help. Yeah. With uh, with the situation of helping him to control his anger, the young man made some of the most drastic improvements in terms of his composure and being able to compose his anger. He graduated. He's um, I think he's looking for an internship to be a coach now. Wow. Um, and so so that stuff is it, we we wanted to apply on the field, but we need to realize that the there there are people under those helmets mm-hmm. uh, there are people under the headsets as coaches um we need to pay attention to the person first that's it and dude you just I, first of all i love that story we've got stories like that and we often say like that's the hard thing about the good athlete project about you as a coach that's hard to quantify you know how you can't say well i had a guy that was 11 on the anger scale and now he's a three and you know it just you can't quantify it but you know what you right. saw it, and i know that kid recognizes it for sure one thing that we talk about a lot is the idea uh, we talk about meeting people in their space. So you might have been and I'm not this is not there's no false praise here. You might have been the only person that could give that kid that message at that time in his life. He might walk into a biology classroom and want none of it. You know, there's nothing they could have said to explain to him why this was important, how to do it, all that stuff. 
but he cared about sports. He respected you. There was something there. That there was a platform that you might have been the only guy that could have reached him. So that- and that's humbling. That's humbling um, to know that um, that that's the the platform and that's the position that we're in. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's something that uh, you know. You think about the the most the most impactful people in my lives have have been coaches. So yeah. out and um, outside of my parents have been coaches. So there's a responsibility there when you are um, coaching young women and young men. It's true, man. It's true, and it's uh, it's uh, if, if you're willing to pick up, if you're willing to accept that charge for what it is, it's it's one of the most rewarding things that could possibly um, exist, I would think. So yeah, yeah, it's incredible. All right, I got a question for you because you um. I'm going to go all the way back to the front of the conversation. You talked about something that we have, we've sort of spent some time, some real time thinking about, and that is um, essentially we're in certain communities around the world. You know, we are, we're all over the place. We're in um, most neighborhoods in Chicago. We're coast to coast, north to south in the city. We're down in Haiti. We're over in Europe. Um, and it doesn't, nothing that we do looks the same anywhere we go. And I think that's one of the special things we have anchors to our interventions, but you got to listen to the people in the place to understand how to kind of progress and move forward. One thing you brought out was so interesting. You were in inner city Detroit and what was expected to be upheld in that household didn't always transfer to your social environment. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think that's something that people don't see all the time. People don't recognize that. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> you know, um, I was held um, responsible for the friends that I have, I had at the mm-hmm. time. So it, <clears throat> when you, when, if someone called my house, this was before cell phones, right. you know, back in the day, house phones, they, um, I would have to instruct my friends how they would have to call the house and address my parents. Mm-hmm. It would, it would be hello, Mister or Mrs. Ivy. Um, this is whoever. It's like I, I would, t- I would have to write it down for them. This is uh, one of my best friends is Tone. This is this is Tony. May I speak to Patrick, please? And I would, I would write it down for them. So because, because they weren't, <laughs> yeah, they weren't going to get through. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they weren't going to get through. Um, yeah. So there, there were certain. Um, when I came in the house, you had to I had to empty the trash. Um, be first thing, empty the trash, get your homework done first, then you can go out and play. Mm-hmm. Outside, it was the opposite. When I looked across the street and down the street, it was come home. It, you may not even go. They may not even go in the house. It was straight from school to playing. Yep. And so, you know, <laughs> there were there's different values there. Mm-hmm. Um, from from house to house, and you know it, it's uh, growing up in the inner city. There's there's all sorts of difficulties and challenges, and um, you know so, all the different circumstances of why why things are the way they are. Sure. And, um, it, Detroit being a big manufacturing city, and a lot of the manufacturing jobs leaving, and right. um, the unemployment and things like that. Uh, you know, so that led to a uh, situation where, it, when you when you leave out of the house, it was definitely about survival. Yep. Um, you know, so 
I, I really don't know how else to answer other than you have to become one tough person mm-hmm. um, to be able to protect yourself. Um, just just to be able to get home in middle school and gunshots and fights and things like that. As a middle schooler, having to dodge that just yep. to get home, um, you know, it's, it's traumatic as well. You know, yes. you have to, you know, I, I end up going to Columbia, Missouri, and it was the exact opposite. Right. But uh, here's a story for you. I went into a bank as a freshman in Columbia, Missouri, and I felt I didn't feel safe because there was no plexiglass separating where the customers were for where the bank tellers were. Think about how twisted that is. Yeah. Like someone like not feeling safe because there was not plexiglass. Right. It's amazing. How how twisted is that? How, how, how traumatic, how, and then, um, having to adapt and adjust to that environment, um, was, uh, you know, luckily there were there were two others, um, two of my friends that came that were from Detroit and we were able to help each other mm-hmm. um, through those situations. But, you know, <clears throat> you know, it's it's a lot to try to navigate when you got 60, 70,000 in the sands expecting one thing. You have professors um, that uh, are expecting something, coaches that are expecting something. The community is expecting you to adapt Yep. Instantly, when for 18 years, mm-hmm. I, 18 years, I grew up in a situation where um, when you wake up at night, the house rule was to look outside the windows to make sure the cars are outside hmm. every night. That was so. And then <laughs> to go to uh, Columbia, Missouri, where people were leaving their houses, their their duplexes and apartments unlocked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so it it was a it was an adjustment. It's something I think a lot of people don't take into account mm-hmm. when you people coming from different backgrounds. And the same thing go for for rural kids, kids from rural areas. Sure. That um that they they've never seen a lot of things uh, either in a city, big city, or a college town, and we expect them to just automatically adjust and adapt. Right. And for some, it's just difficult. Yeah, it's funny. You're right. And and I think you're exactly right. I don't think people understand that that's a sort of learning on its own. You know what I mean? Just in the same way that you'd scaffold the learning in a math class or something like that, you wouldn't expect people who'd never use the Pythagorean theorem to just jump in and go. I'm not sure we accommodate for different lives like that. I think that's really, yeah. Yeah. And I I think, um, yeah. And, and, some people probably do it better than than others, mm-hmm. um, and, and unfortunately, uh, some sometimes the, the uh, kid or the community pays the price. Um, but you know, it, for as I look back, I'm I'm fortunate that I had um, good friends, good teammates, yeah. um, and, and a few good coaches that were able. My strength coaches in college were. Uh, Th- those were my role models. Yeah. Um, the head strength coach, uh, Dave Tobe, he's the current special teams coach for the Kansas City Chiefs, and Donnie Summer, who's the head strength coach at TCU. Donnie Summer is the godfather of my daughters. So oh, wow. he's someone that was so impactful on my life, um, and and that I may I, I talked to my wife and she agreed. It was it was hands down the way he and his wife nurtured. Um, my my wife and myself when we um 
were just watching. We would watch them be parents. Um, yeah. The way they were parents, we just we we wanted to be like them. Um, so you know, yeah, I, I could. I'm going off on a tangent, but no, I love you know, it, it, yeah, it's it's important to have good people and good role models. Yeah, that's good, and that that just um, I really can't emphasize enough. You know, if there are coaches out there just trying to collect a paycheck because they think because they like football and and uh, whatever, and they maybe they want to win a ring someday, I don't think I, I, those are not the kind of coaches I want around me. I think I think you got to first understand what an impactful person that you could be. So like when you were going through that, the, you had a place where you felt safe, where you could immediately get some. I, I wonder if this all kind of fits together in concert, where you can get some aggression out in the weight room where you can be pushed and held accountable, but by someone who you know darn well cares about you. You know what I mean? There, there's such an interesting dynamic there. And, the, and he's the godfather to your kids. That is, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like it. Well, so we have, um, we have a special segment in the podcast. Um, it's not quite, the stuff that we were talking about now is like, is real world stuff, Alex. You feel like you can follow that? I think so, yeah. Okay, so we'll try. We've got something called the lightning round. Um, and uh, do you mind if, if Alex gives you a few quick hitters? Let's go. The lightning round. What was your first job? Paper boy. <laughs> um, so this one is a little bit, I always get, I, I'm the one that usually derails the lightning aspect of the lightning round because I ask longer questions, so bear with me here. Uh, but the, you mentioned that you spent some time in the NFL. I was wondering, did like the, the welcome to the NFL moment, it's kind of a cliche question, but I want to know not only on the field, what was it, but also off the field? Oh, welcome to the NFL moment. Um, sacking Cordell Stewart in my first game over in Japan. Wow, pretty good. Let's see. In in life? Yeah. Um just probably the the birth of my um first daughter. That was that was an amazing experience. What does a successful day look like to you? One when I can when I can tell myself that I I'm loving what I'm doing. Uh, I love my job. I love what I'm doing. I love the impact that I'm having. Um it's it's meeting with a lot of people that's um, being in control of myself and, and my thoughts and emotions um, because you're dealing with people. I deal with a lot of people. So if I can come away with having helped someone, um, it's been successful. What's your favorite lift and why? <sighs> wow. Um, probably the, the deadlift. Um, why? Because I'm... I'm anatomically built for it. <laughs> like it. What is one habit that you can't go without? My earplugs at night. While sleeping? Yes. Right. <laughs> I like it. Um, <laughs> you mentioned earlier the importance of uh, self-talk. So I was wondering what is some self-talk that you engage in yourself? Oh, uh, um, usually it's just a let's go. You can do it. Challenge yourself. Push yourself. Help someone. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> good reminder. Good reminder. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I would say that's one. Yeah. What was the first concert you ever went to? 
And the first album you ever bought? First concert. Might have been an MC Hammer concert. Oh, yeah. Are you serious? That's, a, that's one of the best answers we've heard. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> MC Hammer. That's, that's the earliest one I can remember going to. And uh, first CD would have been probably Run DMC. I think that might have been Raising Hell. Run DMC. Awesome. You are unquestionably a leader in this field. So what advice would you give to a future leader who hopes to embark on a similar journey? Oh, wow. Um, Grow where you're at. Um, There are experiences that I've had that I didn't think were valuable to what I wanted to be doing at the time. But as I look back, those experiences, some of those experiences are some of the most valuable experiences I have doing what I'm currently doing. So just value them, learn, um, take notes, and uh, treat people with respect. Love it. End of the lightning round. Great job. Yes. Love it. You passed, man. That's good. He's, he's a I tough creator sweating. too. So. Yeah, I was, started sweating. That was pretty good. I hope this is um, the first conversation of many because I, I, I'll tell you, I do – I. I'm into your work. I'm into your mindset. I'm into your approach. Um, I think there is a lot of really interesting things going on in your world. We'd love to support in any way we could, um, because I, I mean, you get it. And I'm not again. I'm not trying. This is there's no false praise on this podcast. That's the goal. We reach out to people who we think are doing it well. Uh, we try to share their message. And so you said you mentioned help people is a good day. Um, you're helping us and, and whoever listens to this, I hope they can pull some things away um, and use it to not only help themselves, their practice, but then help kids moving forward. Because that's, uh, that's the ripple effect of you, doctor. What do you think? You see how I did there? <laughs> it's, it's been a pleasure. Um, I've had a lot of people that have helped me along the way as well. And um, I just... I just want to give back. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.